As we then turn our attention to the reading of the Word of God, we do so from Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 14. Uh, You can find this uh, on page 1,346 in the Pew Bible, and we remind ourselves and we also remind anyone who may be visiting or joining in through the radio or the internet that we are preaching our way through the epistle to the Ephesians, section by section, and so there is not Uh, a unique circumstance that motivates uh, our selection of this passage, but rather we believe that the whole counsel of God is to be proclaimed, uh, and we think that one of the most uh, advantageous ways to ensure that that is done uh, is to preach consecutive series of sermons. And so we make our way uh, through the epistle to the Ephesians, uh, coming this morning to Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 14. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Thus far for this morning, our reading from the Word of God. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it has long been recognized that the church that is, the people of God, uh, the assembled people of God who have been redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ, who are led by the influence of the Holy Spirit, the church lives their life in the midst of this world. We do not advocate some type of monastic retreat from this world geographically or spatially. But even as we are called to live in this world, We also recognize that the Scriptures are clear that we, as Christians, are not to be of this world. There is to be a difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. There is to be a difference between the Christian and the non-Christian in all aspects of life, including especially the moral standards when it comes to human sexuality. All of us who observe culture, even at some level, will recognize the gross immorality that our culture continues to sink into. Uh, You can think of a variety of examples of this, and we do want to speak discreetly this morning, Uh, but gross sexual immorality is pervasive in our culture. Now, it it would be rather easy this morning to just blast away at culture. 
and the gross sexual immorality that is to be found in the world. But when the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians, he's not writing to the worldly inhabitants living in the city of Ephesus. He's writing to the church. And so our intention this morning is not just to blast the world. Our intention this morning is to speak to the church. Exhorting the church, that is, the individual members, that is, yourself and myself, exhorting us to walk in the light. And the light of moral purity, especially as that moral purity applies itself to the area of human sexuality. Our theme for this morning will be this, children of God, are to walk in light. We'll notice, first of all, the path of walking in light, and then secondly, the knowledge for walking in light, and then thirdly, the reason for walking in light. So the basic theme of this text is children of God are to walk in the light. We'll notice the path, the knowledge, and the reason for walking in light. The path of walking in light, how is it that we are to direct our ways? The path could be described as two, first avoiding perverse action and then avoiding perverse speech. So the Apostle Paul, as he lays out this directive for the Ephesian church, he says there there are two things you need to avoid, two potential pitfalls, two traps. The first is perverse action, and then connected with that, the second is perverse speech. So the children of God, they're to walk in the light by avoiding perverse action. And this action is identified in verse 3, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Now these words are chosen underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be representative words. A few examples, you might say, of sexual perversity. But it's not a comprehensive list. Other scripture passages uh, give other words and describe other types of uh, sexual immorality. But what we can say is these words identify a a certain perverse way of life. And, and, And what is perverse? Perverse means to turn away from what is right from what is good, from what is proper. Perverse means to corrupt or, or, or to twist in, in a wicked, diabolical way. And so you and I are called to walk as children of light by avoiding twisted, corrupted, wicked sexual activity, of which fornication is one form Uncleanness broadens it out uh, to include nearly any and every type of intimate sexual activity outside of the bonds of biblical marriage. And again, in an attempt to be direct but yet discreet, to follow hopefully Scripture's example, we would just simply say that what is forbidden is any type of 
intimate sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage. Paul says it should not even be named among the saints. There shouldn't even be any type of flirtation with this type of perverse action. Now we know that our culture is engaged in this type of action. And we know that this is not unique with us. Sometimes you hear people talk about the sexual perversion of our Western world as if it's some type of novel, some type of new thing, some type of unprecedented thing. It's really not. There is nothing new under the sun. The sexual perversion that is the context in which we have to live out lives of purity is much similar to that of the first century New Testament world. It's very similar also to the world in which the Israelites entered when they took over the land of Canaan. Uh, This type of sexual perversion is motivated by idolatry or a covetousness. Notice this interesting interesting connection, verse 3. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Well, what, what is the connection there? It's at least this. Any type of unbiblical, intimate sexual activity is motivated by a selfish idolatry of my own desires. You take, it doesn't matter what form it is, any type of sexual activity outside of the proper honorableness of the marriage bed is motivated by love of oneself, an ungodly love of oneself, where a person says, I want Or maybe they even strengthen it and they say, I need. And this is rampant also, sadly, many times within the church. But notice that the Apostle Paul goes even a step further. Not only perverse action, but also perverse speech. It's often been said that the eyes are the window into the soul, but also then the mouth expresses what's in the soul. You want to know the character of a person? Listen to them speak. And so the Apostle Paul continues, and he says in verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, let it not even be named among you. And then he gives the contrast of it, rather the giving of thanks. Uh, This type of speech is a twisted form of communication that makes light of that which God takes seriously. Makes light of sexual immorality by jokes, certain forms of speech that should not even be found on the lips of those who are the special people of God who have been redeemed so that their mouths might give praise to God. James, in his typical blunt style, makes this a point of application. Out of the same mouth, blessing and cursing, out of the same mouth, 
filthy, lewd speech and songs of worship? It can't be. It's either one or the other. Either let your communication be that which is proper, the giving of thanks, or then speak like the world. But know that if you speak like the world, it's probably because you are of the world. Perverse actions, perverse speech. Now you can examine the general tone of your own life, and you can answer the question, which one characterizes you? But notice that the Apostle Paul continues. He, and in our second point, we've categorized this underneath the knowledge for walking in light. Verse 5, for this you know. This you know. An intellectual comprehension, but also a spiritual understanding. Well, what do they know? They know something. The church knows something. The Christian knows something about condemnation and also about deception. This you know, and they knew this because of the Word of God and because of the the preaching of the Apostle Paul. They knew this because of the epistles that the Apostle Paul had written. This you know that no fornicator, a person who engages in sexual intimacy outside of the bonds of marriage, unclean person, anyone who engages in any type of forbidden intimate activity, nor covetous man, a self-serving man, who is an idolater serving the sins of the lust of the flesh, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. No one who engages habitually walking in these types of lifestyles has any part in the redemptive kingdom of God. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying, and you know this. Now, this is not, of course, the same as saying that an individual who, through their own weakness, falls temporarily into this sin. You can think of David, the most notable example. What the Apostle Paul is saying is someone who habitually walks in this type of lifestyle. They have no part in the kingdom of God. They are not underneath the influence of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. They are not being led uh, by the Spirit of God. They are underneath the condemnation, the wrath of God. They are shut out from the kingdom of God and all of the blessings of God. And this wrath, and you can think of Romans 1, Uh, Romans 2, this wrath of God includes the giving of a person over to themselves so that God, in essence, says, you want to have perversity? You persist in sexual immorality? At some point, the forbearance of God is exhausted, and God begins to give people over to their own covetous, idolatrous desires. And that is the most fearful situation a person can find themselves in. When God says, you persist in that, I will give you over to that. And my giving you over to that type of perverse desire and perverse action is the actual 
effect of God's wrath coming upon that person. And Paul says, this you know. No one who persistently walks in sexual immorality is a living member in the kingdom of God, but rather they are underneath condemnation. I notice how emphatic he is. No fornicator. It's comprehensive. No fornicator has any inheritance. It's not like there's different classes of fornicators. Well, I'm not that bad of a fornicator, so maybe I have a little bit of a part of the inheritance in the kingdom of God. Well, I'm not as bad of a fornicator as that person or these persons, or at least I don't do those types of things. No, the text is very straightforward. No fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and gone. Now, if you're so inclined, I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 6 because there is a note of the gospel, the transformative work of the gospel. And we can't move on before we identify this note of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11, and if Ephesus was, the culture of Ephesus was guilty of sexual immorality, uh, the Corinthians had them beat. And so the Apostle Paul, uh, he writes there in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Notice again the similarity to the text in Ephesians. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Notice the expansion of some of the categories of sexual perversion. And what do they know about these individuals? In addition to thieves, covetous, nor drunkards, revilers, extortioners, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But notice verse 11, and such were some of you. It does not say, and such are some of you, but such were some of you, past tense. What had happened? These individuals had experienced the transformative grace of God in their lives. So that they died to the old man and came to life in the new man. And so in the, the church in Corinth, think about this and, and let's get our minds around this. In the church at Corinth, there were individuals who formerly were steeped in the lifestyle of fornication. There were individuals who formerly were individuals who had engaged in the actions of homosexuality. But they were washed. And this, my friend, is the power of the gospel, a spiritual cleansing by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, on the one hand, we need to be balanced in our theology. We cannot minimize the severity of sin. We cannot deny the wrath of God coming upon those who practice such things. We must be clear in our proclamation of the truth of God, especially in our confused times. And I speak not about the world, I speak about the church broadly. 
But even while we are clear in, in that area, we must also be clear of the power of the gospel to wash even the filthiest of sinners and to make them just as whole as anyone else who has experienced the transformative grace of our redeeming God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul adds another aspect of the knowledge for walking in the light, and that is a knowledge against deception. If you go back to our text, verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the these things refers uh, to all of these perverse actions, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, idolatry. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This deception is pervasive also in our own day. The message of deception is the same message that Satan, the great deceiver, has always proclaimed, calling evil good. That's the deception. An action, a lifestyle that is clearly identified by the Word of God as being evil, Satan comes and says, is actually good. And then that satanic deception is repeated by persons. And sadly, you find this also in many a pulpit in our day. Sexual perversion that is clearly forbidden by Scripture, individuals stand behind a pulpit and say it's actually good. Don't be deceived. But if you go back to the Garden of Eden, you'll notice that Satan took another step in his deceptive speech. He said, you will not die. So the first level of deception is taking something that is clearly evil and thinking that it is actually good. The second level of deception is saying, I know this is evil but I don't think I will die if I engage in it. The thinking that you can get away with it. Beloved, don't be deceived. No one gets away with sin. And yet, the individuals who think that they can are many. We speak of perhaps the examples of the individuals who view things that they should not be viewing. Thinking all the while, it's really not that bad. Everyone does it. I can get away with it just a little bit here and now. If that's you, do not be deceived. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
the individual who says, I can engage in some type of flirtatious speech, it won't lead to anything else. No one will know. I can excuse it. I can justify it. Don't be deceived. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. The person who says on the job site or in the factory, I can talk this way. I can tell these jokes. I'm only joking. I don't really mean it. I'm just trying to fit in. Everyone's doing it. Don't be deceived. When God calls something evil, know for sure it is evil. And when God says that a certain pattern of lifestyle brings upon the individual the wrath of God, know for certain God is not joking. Galatians 6 verse 7 And the Apostle Paul uses this phrase repeatedly, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now why does the Apostle Paul repeatedly in numerous epistles emphasizes do not be deceived because of the threat of self-deception. Because of the threat of individuals thinking, God doesn't really mean what he says. We're more enlightened now. We're more advanced now. We have a greater understanding of human nature now. I guarantee you on the authority of the Word of God, if you sow a certain pattern of a lifestyle, walking habitually in some form of sexual immorality, you will experience the wrath of God unless you repent. Which means change your mind, change your will, change your affections underneath the transformative grace of God and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ finding refuge in his sacrificial blood. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. This walking in light is motivated by a reason that we consider in our third point, the impact of the grace of God and the desire to please the Lord. We do not avoid sexual immorality so that we may be considered to be the children of God, but because we are the children of God. Because this is our identity. Because of the impact of the grace of God that transforms the heart. Look there at verse 3, and notice how uh, the Apostle Paul grounds this fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Notice he reminds them uh, in, in a subtle little jot of his inspired pen, so to speak, he reminds them of their identity. Saints, holy ones, consecrated ones. 
who were not a people but now are a people, who once had not obtained mercy but who now have obtained mercy, saints who have been redeemed for the purpose of honoring, glorifying, praising, and worshiping God. And when a congregation begins to embrace this, this reality of who they are, this moves them far, far away from some type of external legalistic moralism. And this has real power when a person, not in a haughty type of a spirit, but when they understand, God has elected me from all of eternity by His triune love, grace, and mercy so that I might be a saint based upon the objective work of Jesus Christ and the subjective work of the Holy Spirit that I might show forth His praises. You don't show forth His praises by walking in fornication, by dabbling in uncleanness. You show forth His praises by the giving of thanks, by the beginnings of a holy and a, and a consecrated life. Don't think for a minute that, that God looks down upon His spiritual children and is pleased when they fall into sin. He's pleased when they show forth the beginnings of new obedience. Not a perfect obedience, but a real obedience. And verse 8's walk here. I notice you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. If you take sexual immorality in any one of its forms, it is absolutely the polar opposite of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And so what ought to be the desire of the Christian, what ought to be your desire and my desire, is verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. How do we find out what is acceptable to the Lord? You know, sometimes, to be honest, I think many Christians, they overthink things. They want to know, well, what is God's will? What is God's will for my life? It's pretty simple. Walk in the light. Avoid these types of actions. Fornication and uncleanness. Some people might say, well, there has to be something more, something deeper. Don't make the Christian life more complicated than it is. If you really want to be transformative, if you really want to go countercultural, just walk in integrity and in a certain moral uprightness in all aspects of life, but especially when it comes uh, to sexual behavior. And then you won't have to sit there in the end of the day and go, I wonder if I followed the will of the Lord. I wonder if I was pleasing in His sight. God's commandments are, are not burdensome. They're, they're, they're not overly intensive. Sometimes I think there's individuals, there, they're so trying to, to peer into the deeper things that they think are deeper things that they miss the obvious things. Don't speculate about deep philosophical truths while dabbling in fornication and uncleanness. What profit will that ever have? But rather, stick with the simple basics 
of a moral life out of gratitude to God, with a desire to please the Lord. You can think of what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9 and 10, and with this we close. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among us, as is fitting for the saints. Amen. We then do turn our attention to the reading of the Lord's Supper preparatory form. And I trust as we read this form, as we have it on page 37, you'll see the connection uh, with the, the words and the admonishments and also uh, the wonder of grace that is in our text that we've attempted to expound this morning. So we read the section underneath the celebration of the Lord's Supper that deals with the institution of the Supper and also the call to self-examination. A dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, let us give full attention to the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. But let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That we may now celebrate the supper of the Lord to our comfort, it is necessary to examine ourselves fully and further to consider carefully that purpose for which Christ ordained and instituted this sacrament, namely his remembrance. The true examination of ourselves consists of three parts. First, let everyone carefully consider their sins and ungodliness, that they may hate their sins and humble themselves before God, considering that the wrath of God against sin is so great that he, rather than leaving it unpunished, has punished it in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, with a bitter and shameful death on the cross. Second, let everyone examine his heart to see whether they also believe the sure promise of God that all their sins are forgiven only because of the passion and death of Jesus Christ, and that the complete righteousness of Christ is imputed and freely given to them as their own. Indeed, so completely as if they had personally satisfied for all their sins and fulfilled all righteousness. Third, let everyone carefully examine their own conscience to see if they are fully determined to show true thankfulness to God in every area of life and to walk sincerely before his face and whether they with full sincerity strive to lay aside all enmity, hatred, and envy, and earnestly resolve from this day forward to live with their neighbor in true love and unity. 
All those then who are of this mind, God will certainly receive in grace and count as worthy partakers of the table of his Son, Jesus Christ. On the contrary, those who do not sincerely believe this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment upon themselves. According to the command of Christ and the Apostle Paul, those who know themselves to be engaging in the following sins without repentance have no part in the kingdom of Christ and should therefore abstain from coming to the table of the Lord. Idolaters, those who call upon deceased saints, angels, or any other creature, those who revere images, those who engage in witchcraft, fortune-telling, occult practices, or other forms of superstition, all those who despise God, his word, and his holy sacraments, all blasphemers, those who seek to raise discord, factions, and dissension in the church or in the state, all perjurers, all who are disobedient to their parents and those in lawful authority, all murderers, contentious people, and those who live in hatred and envy against their neighbors, all adulterers, fornicators, drunkards, thieves, the greedy, robbers, gamblers, covetous people, and all who lead offensive lives. All those who continue in such sins shall abstain from the Lord's Supper so that they feel the weight of God's judgment and condemnation. But this warning is not intended to discourage the believers with contrite hearts, as if no one might come to the Lord's Supper unless they are without sin. We do not come to the Supper to testify about our own perfection and righteousness, but on the contrary, we come seeking life in Jesus Christ apart from ourselves. We come confessing our misery, admitting that we have many shortcomings and do not have perfect faith. We also confess that we do not serve God with sufficient zeal, but that we must struggle daily with the weakness of our faith and struggle against the evil lust of our flesh. However, the grace of the Holy Spirit makes us sorry for our shortcomings, gives us the desire to live according to God's commandments, and helps us to fight against unbelief. Therefore, we can rest assured that no sin or weakness which still remains in us against our will can prevent us from being received by God's grace and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. Let's then pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us. We pray that our own uh, thoughts might not confuse uh, the thoughts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, may we test ourselves and may we test all that we have heard according to the authority of the Word of God alone. And when such testing does reveal the indwelling existence of sin, we pray, Lord, that we might be quick to be moved to repentance and embrace the reality of forgiveness, that we might have peace within our soul. But may there also be evidence of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit within our lives, washing us and cleansing us, renewing us and transforming us. To that end, we pray for a blessing upon uh, the proclamation of your word this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen.